speak to us loudly and clearly that uh, we might have ears to hear and hearts to obey. And Father, we pray uh, for the, uh, the message this morning, Father, that it might, uh, might be the beginning of a, a new start for many of us. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why it seems that there's a whole bunch of people in the Christian community who have made professions of faith in Jesus, but whose lives seem to not look a whole lot different from the, the non-Christians around them? Ever wondered that? You know, the fact is that According to a Barna research study from 2014, 67% of Christian men, professing Christian men, and nearly 20% of professing Christian women are viewing or reading pornography at least monthly. Think about that. Two-thirds of professing Christian men, one out of five professing Christian women are viewing or reading pornography at least once a month. Why is that? Why aren't Christians known for generosity that far exceeds the non-Christian world? Why is the number of missionaries going out from the American church declining even as the American church's budget continues to go up? Can I humbly suggest to you that the reason for all of these things lies in a willingness to identify yourself as a Christian while rejecting the biblical call to be a fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ. Because it seems to me that we in America have gotten good at getting people saved at getting people to make a profession of faith in Jesus, at getting them to find Jesus, but not great at getting people to follow Jesus, to actually do what Jesus said and to follow Him as a manner of life, to be His disciples, even though make disciples is what Jesus told us to do. Remember? Go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. That's what Jesus told us to do. You know, the elders and I have been talking about that issue for about the past year or so. How do we help people not only to find Jesus, but help them to follow Jesus? And in response to that, we are committed as a church to helping people learn to be fully committed disciples of Jesus and helping us all learn what it means to make disciples of Jesus just like Jesus commanded. And if we're going to do that as a church going forward, the first thing we need to do is to define the objective. What is a disciple? And so that's what I'm going to do hopefully for us here in the next few minutes this morning, is define the word disciple. What is a disciple? 
the word disciple actually is used a whole lot more often than the word Christian. I don't know if you know this. Uh, in your, if you look at your Bible, the word Christian appears, are you ready for this? Three times in the entire New Testament. You know how many times the word disciple shows up? 270. And so if we're going to make disciples, and we want to find out what a disciple is, we got a lot of data to go on. 270 references to the word disciple. And if you boil that, all of that data down, what you get is a pretty simple definition based on Jesus' own example and teaching. And so I want to turn with, have you turn with me over to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look quickly at 18 to 22 of Matthew chapter 4. This is what God's Word says here. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, in this passage, the key verse is verse 19. It's Jesus' own call to people who would follow him. And it's just as relevant for us today as it was for Peter and Andrew and James and John because it's the same call that Jesus makes today to those who want to follow Him. And it's very simple. If you want to be Jesus' disciple, there are three major parts to it. You need to, number one, follow Jesus. That's what He says, right? Come, follow Me. That's the first part. Second part is that if you follow Jesus, there's a transformation that happens to us that is made by Jesus. Come follow me and I will make you. That Jesus is going to do the transforming. So you're a follower of Jesus. You're being transformed by Jesus. And then the last part, you're on mission with Jesus. Fishers of men. Follow. Be transformed. Join the mission. To be a disciple of Jesus, you have to do all three of those things. Follow, be transformed, and be on mission with Jesus. So we want to look at each of these things individually here. Uh, What does it mean, first of all, to follow Jesus? To follow Jesus, what does that mean? Well, I would submit to you that there are three crucial elements to following Jesus. And the, the first one is believing in Him. Uh, and John, uh, John, uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You, there must be a point in your life, there must be a point in your life where you make a decisive step, like Peter and Andrew, like James and John, to leave your former life behind and to throw your lot in with Jesus. To say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow 
Jesus, where you recognize for yourself personally that Jesus is who He claims to be, that He is the Son of God, that He did die on the cross for you and for your sins and was raised from the dead to give new life to you. And you have to embrace that and put your trust in it and stake your eternal destiny on it. You have to believe. And if you do that, then the Scripture says that you have crossed over from death to life. That's uh, John 5.24. That you, If you have put your trust in Jesus, you have crossed over from death to life. You will not come under God's judgment. And you, we praise God for that. That's step one in following Jesus. And I hope we have all experienced that blessing. I hope all of us have come to the point where we have, we have driven a stake in our, in our life and said, I believe in Jesus. I believe that He is the Son of God. I believe He died on the cross for me. I believe that He is the Savior, that He was raised from the dead to give me new life. And I have received that new life. But if you haven't received that new life yet, then the Scripture has an invitation for you to take that step. It says, today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to put your trust in Jesus. Because He is fully trustworthy. He is who He says He is. And He is worth your life. He is worth it. He is worth trusting. So put your trust. You can do it right now as you're sitting here looking at me. You can just play poker and I will not know necessarily that anything has happened. But you will know, and God will know, as you put your trust in Christ. And if you do that, you will receive eternal life. And then you begin, at that point, your journey with Jesus as His disciple. Now the next step is obeying and loving Jesus. Now some of you are thinking, wait a minute. That sounds like two steps, but it's not two steps. Uh, let me show you here. Uh, uh, John chapter 14, verse 15. Okay, if you've got your Bible, just flip over there to John chapter 14, verse 15. This is what Jesus says. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then if you skip down just a couple of verses, verse down to verse 21, this is what Jesus says. He reiterates it again. He says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You cannot claim to be Jesus' disciple and persist in disobeying what He tells you to do. Amen? You can't do that. And according to Jesus, love for Jesus and obeying Jesus go together. They're intertwined like a rope. You can't undo them. They go together. And so, so after you have committed yourself to follow Jesus, step, you know, then step one of believing in Jesus, the next step there is... Learning to love and obey Jesus. To do what He commands. 
To be a disciple is not just to recognize and claim Jesus as master, it's also to love him and submit to him as your master. And demonstrating that love for him by doing what he commands you to do. So here, let me just ask, a, let me step aside here and just ask a real quick application question. Are you following Jesus with love and obedience? Love and obedience. Because you can't do one without the other. Love and obedience go together. And if the answer to that question is no, I'm not, then right now it's time to repent. To turn around from the direction you've been going and to confess your rebellion and to seek the Lord again. And say, Father, I, I've been messing up here. I, I love Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus, but I haven't been obedient. And if he identifies a specific area where you haven't been, to turn from that part of your life and, say, and to seek the Lord again and to begin to follow him with love and obedience. Now, there's one final component to following Jesus. And of all of the others, this one is the least popular. All right? You thought it was going to be obedience, but it's not. This is the really unpopular one. Are you ready? It's willingness to suffer for Jesus. I want to show you this. This is from Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Uh, I'm going to do some flipping today. Luke chapter 9, 23 and 24. This is what Jesus says. And he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. By the way, Jesus says this kind of thing not just once. He says this kind of thing repeatedly. That to follow Him means that you're going to lay your life down. And that you're going to encounter some opposition. And that bit that's in here about taking up your cross, He means that literally. He means that literally. That you're going to suffer. You're going to experience pain. Uh, you know, when they crucified people in, in Jesus' day, they always had them carry the crossbeam portion, the patibulum of their cross. They would carry it on their shoulders. And, so, and, and then they had to carry it. It's like when you were a kid, you know, and your dad made you cut your own switch. Right? It's that kind of idea that, that this is a person who is already marked for death. That they are literally carrying the implement of their own execution on their shoulders to the place of their execution. And so to, to follow Jesus, when He says to take up your cross daily, what He means is, is that your life is not yours. That you have already died in some sense. You're a dead man walking. 
And you are going to go through suffering in the process of following Jesus. If it hasn't hit you yet, take heart. It will. You just haven't lived long enough. But there, to follow Jesus is to experience suffering. It's to experience persecution. It's, it's to experience mockery. It's to experience pain in this life. But the only way, according to Jesus, to save your life for eternity is to lose it now for the sake of Christ. It's possible that if you're a Christian, that you're going to get mocked. You may have somebody say, you know, I had somebody say this to me the other day. He was trying to be complimentary. But he called me to ask me a question. And he said, you know, he says, he goes, I feel like you missed your calling. The guy's not a believer. I said, why is that? He goes, well, you're so smart. You know, why did you become a preacher? I was kind of like, I don't know how to feel about that. You know? I was like, so what, you think that only stupid people preach the gospel? Is that it? You know, I didn't say that, but I was kind of—I was—I was halfway between complimented and really offended, because that is what he thinks. That if you had any sense, you wouldn't do this. So maybe you're going to face mockery. Maybe you're going to be persecuted. Maybe God will call you, and I hope He does. By the way. I hope that if you're a young person in this church, that God places a call upon your life to go to preach the Gospel where it is illegal. Because it will be great. And your reward will be great in heaven. And it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Even if, by the way, they put you in prison. Even if while they have you in prison, they torture you every day. And even if, as part of being in prison, they eventually put you to death. Do you know what? It'll be so worth it. Because when you see Jesus face to face, great will be your reward. But to follow Jesus is to lay your life down. And to say, I am willing to go as far as Jesus calls me to go. If it's through cancer, then so be it. If it is through imprisonment and torture and death, sign me up. If it is to mockery and persecution and job loss, and marginalization in a society that is rebelling against God as hard as it can, I'm good with it. Because Jesus called me to take up my cross daily and follow Him. And He says the only way to save your life is to lose it. But that if you try, on the other hand, to hang on to your life as tightly as you can, you will lose it. 
you will have burned the grain and housed the chaff. But Jesus is worth it. Again, quick application question. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus' sake? Are you willing? Because to be a follower of Jesus, He says, if you're going to follow Me, my Bible reads, if anyone would come after Me, I believe the NIV says, says it this way, if you want to be My disciple, let him deny himself. And take up His cross daily and follow Me. If you're not ready yet to suffer for Jesus, can I encourage you in two ways? Number one, that's coming. So we better get ready. That's coming. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But Paul tells Timothy, if anyone wants to live godly in Christ, he will be persecuted. So that's coming. You mark it on your calendar. Put it on repeat. <laughs> Where it just repeats every day. Okay? That's coming. And then can I also encourage you to spend some time reading in the Gospels? Spend some time reading in the Gospels. Read Jesus. And pray and ask the Holy Spirit to convince you that Jesus is worth it and to make you bold for Christ. To make you bold. To make you stick out. We're supposed to. Amen? We're supposed to be not just salt, but light. We're supposed to stick out because Jesus is worth dying for. And on top of that, He's worth living for. So, a willingness to suffer is part of following Jesus. Now, the second major component of being a disciple after you have begun to follow Jesus is that you're going to experience transformation by Jesus. There is something that he begins to do in you. If you look at Matthew 4:19, what he says is, "I will make you." There's something he is going to do to us and in us and with us. That's a promise from him. He's going to do it. Following Jesus, in other words, is not all up to us and our effort. Jesus is going to do something too. He's going to be at work in every one of us to transform our lives and to make us something we have not been before. He's going to do something with us. And to be a disciple is to experience transformation from Jesus. That's what being born again means. It means to have new life and to exhibit all of the symptoms of being alive. To, to, to be transformed. 
You know, that's what, by the way, uh, that's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 15, verse 5, when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And a couple of verses later in verse 8 of the same chapter, Jesus says, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. The idea is, in in John chapter 15, is that as we put our faith in Jesus and as we stay connected to Jesus, that the life of Jesus begins to operate in our life. That He lives His life out through us and would we then be produce fruit in keeping with being a disciple of Jesus? That He lives His life in us. And that we, over time, are progressively, as part of a process, transformed to look more like Jesus. That He produces His life in us. And by the way, this is not a totally linear thing. Right? You don't, you know, I mean, I think it would be nice if it was, Right? Well, first I decided to follow Jesus, and then I just started being transformed, and every day I got up and I looked more like Jesus, and it was just great. And I just didn't sin anymore. And, uh, you know, is that, by the way, if that's your experience, I'd like to talk to you, right? Because um, if you think you, you don't sin anymore, I'll just tell you it hasn't been, that, that might be a reality in your life, but it hasn't been. Of reality since I've known you, right? <laughs> but uh, uh, that's not how it goes. It's a lifelong process, and sometimes you know your growth looks jagged, right? Where you can't take about three steps forward in an area, and then about a step and a half back, and then you take another couple steps forward, and you, and you're you're. You're moving forward. And what's important is the direction, not the speed. But nevertheless, it's a process of transformation that flows out of the fact that Jesus Himself, as He promised, is at work in us. And He is transforming us. So again, let's apply this to ourselves. If it's true that to be a disciple of Jesus is someone who not only follows Jesus, but is being transformed by Him. How are you doing right here? Are you growing in conformity to Christ? Everything that is alive grows. Do you know that? Everything that is alive grows. Are you growing in conformity to Christ? Are you looking more like Jesus than you did in the past? Are your thoughts more occupied with how to please the Lord each day? Let me ask an, uh, let me get down to the nitty-gritty. If you ask your spouse if you are more like Jesus than you were when they married you, what would they say? They say yes. What about if you ask your kids? I mean, that will really tell you. <laughs> right? <laughs> what do you think? Is mom, is dad more like Jesus than he or she used to be? 
Because we're meant, and Jesus promises us that we will be, if we follow him, transformed. And so we ought to be seeing it. And in fact, I expect that most everybody in the room, that's true, that they are being transformed, that they're seeing it. You need some examples? Come see me. I'll talk to you. And, and help to identif identify for you some of the areas of your life where God is working. But maybe, right now, as I'm speaking, God is speaking to you right now, and He's pointing out to you some areas where He wants you to seek additional transformation. Now, if that's true, that's good. But what you want to do right now is yield your will over to Him and to say, Father, I didn't realize, I didn't see this. Help me to be transformed. Help me to yield to you and to obey you in this area too that I might be transformed. Because whatever that area of life is, it is worth sacrificing that we might conform, as Paul says, to the measure of the stature that belongs to Christ. Because part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to experience transformation from Jesus as he lives his life out through us. Now, last big thing on mission with Jesus. We joined Jesus' mission. Matthew 4.19 says, He promises to transform us, but He trans promises to transform us into something. And it says, fishers of men. Now, Jesus, in other words, doesn't simply make us His followers and, and transform us by His work in us to make us better people that we might live better redeemed lives for ourselves. Right? Jesus is not interested in simply transforming us that we might be simply exhibits of His grace for the sake of being better than we were. That's, that's nice, and it's certainly good, but there's a purpose in mind that we might join Him on His mission. And what's His mission? It's to help other people become disciples of Jesus too. That's what fishers of men is all about that we who are disciples of Jesus help other people to find Jesus, to follow Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus, and to make more disciples of Jesus. That's the cycle. I don't know if you know this, but we are here today because somebody who was a disciple of Jesus shared the gospel with us and helped us to find Jesus. And there's an unbroken chain of that going all the way back to Jesus Himself. Amen? And, and if you are faithful to do what Jesus has, has told us to do, you're not just going to believe in Him and worship Him yourself. You're not just going to experience the growth and change of life that comes from, from following Him that He promises to do and that He does do. You're also going to 
pass that on to someone else. You're going to do what Jesus said. You're going to make disciples. You're going to become a fisher of men. So that there's just a continuing endless cycle of following and transformation and mission until the whole world knows about Jesus. That was the assignment. Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Well, guess what's included in the everything? The command to make disciples. And so we all are part of that project. And, I, and, and that's the goal of our discipleship, is to make disciples. And I think this is where many Christians and many churches fall down on the job. is that we forget that we each personally have a mission to carry out in making disciples and that the goal of, of God's will in our lives is not just our own salvation and obedience. It's also that we carry that forward and help other people to find Jesus and follow Jesus and be transformed by Jesus and to carry forward the mission too. That's the goal. And I think a lot of Christians who have known the Lord a while have a point they get to where their faith starts to seem a little bit stale. If that's you, don't raise your hand. But you, you start to feel like, well, look, you know, I've been reading my Bible for 30 years been learning to pray for all this time. And you know, I serve at church and I, I do a few things here and there. But it just all starts to feel kind of boring after a while. Can I submit to you that the reason that you are bored, if you are, is because you haven't made disciples. You're sucking in, but there's no pushing out. You've got to reproduce what has been given to you and someone else to become a fisher of men, to join the mission. Let me challenge you with a couple things here as we close. Let me give you first a story. About 20 years ago, I'm sitting my first week at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm, I'm in the Chafer Chapel, and it, I, I'm starting, it's January 1998. And I'm sitting for my first chapel, and it happens to be Spiritual Life Week at Dallas Seminary. And the speaker is Pastor Tommy Nelson out of Denton, Texas. And he is speaking on 12 landmines of the ministry. That's his topic. You know, landmine is something hidden that you don't see, that you step on, and then it blows you up, right? And so he's giving some warnings to us, all of us seminarians, about things to avoid. And I am writing like a scribe. 
But he comes to one of them and he says this, you know what probably the number one landmine of the ministry is, men? It is the failure to make disciples. It is to think that you can stand up in a pulpit week after week and do what Jesus said to do, which is to make disciples. Can you teach people? Yes. Can they learn some things? Yes. Can they grow and can they experience change as they submit to God's Word? Yes. But you've got to make disciples. And he asked a question that 20 years later still operates as a burr in my brain. He said, where are your men? Where are your men? And he, he, he asked us, he said, you know, you all are going to go out into ministry real soon. You're going to graduate from this place and you're going to get a title pastor and people are going to address you with great respect. And, and the problem that most of you are going to have is that you have never done the thing that Jesus told us to do and so you're not going to go out and do that. And you're not going to be able, since you, since you haven't been there and don't know how to do it, you're not going to be able to teach anybody in your church to do it either. You don't have any men now, you're not going to have any later. So you better learn how to make disciples because it is the fork and the spoon and the knife of ministry. And you need to be able to do this. And that question, where are your men, has just it has rung in my ears for 20 years. And so for 20 years, wherever I have been, I have had a small group of guys that I get together with and that I pour my life into. Always. Because I never want to get to the end of my life and have somebody ask me that question and go, oh gosh, I don't know. I was a leader, but I guess nobody followed. But let me ask you this question. Where are yours? Where are yours? If you have been a believer for any length of time at all, there ought to be some people behind you that you are bringing along. If you're a mother, they ought to bear the names of your children. If you're a father, your children ought to be on that list. There ought to be, in addition to that, some other people who would say of you, this is a person who taught me and showed me what it was like to follow Jesus. We were in relationship together and they gave me their example. Now, hopefully, you have a long list of people. And I know that some of you, in fact, do have a long list of people. But if you don't, if you don't, can I challenge you to change that going forward? If you're willing to make the attempt, if you're willing to say, I want to be a fisherman. I want to catch men. I want to catch women and help them to follow Jesus. I'll make you two promises. Number one, 
I will personally take responsibility for training you to do that. I will do it. In fact, we're going to start a class for people who want to do it on April the 8th. And if you want to do it, pray about it, and then talk to me, and we'll get you a book. And I will train you how to do it. Starting April the 8th. You can, sign, you can see me, I'll get you a book, and we'll invest in you. And we'll invest in you a lot of time. So that you can learn to make disciples because it is that important. Second thing, second promise I'll make you. If you do this, if you do it, you decide, I'm going to make disciples. It will be the greatest thrill and the most rewarding thing you have ever done in your life. You will get off of the bench and into the game and it will be more fun than you can imagine. And you will be able to say, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing what Jesus Call me to do. I'm an authentic disciple of Jesus. How about that? I will train you. And it'll be fun. It'll be a great time, in fact. And it'll transform your life. So, become a fisher of men. Join the mission. Follow Jesus all the way. Amen? Don't stop short. Don't stop with your transformation. Get to where you can pass it on to other people. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your people. Because, Father, it is the blessing of my life to be among them and with them and to have the privilege of sharing God's Word with them and sharing life with them. Father, these are blessed and dear people, and they love You, and they follow You, and they want to do what is right. And I praise You for them. Father, I pray that we would, first of all, become authentic disciples of Jesus, every one of us. We would follow You. We would be transformed by Your Spirit. And then that we would make disciples. That we would, as Jesus told us to do, bear much fruit. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.